Good morning. Aren't you glad God so loved the world? Amen. Amen. Well, we're glad to have you joining with us this morning. Uh, glad to have those who are on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter there with us, uh, as well as our phone live streaming. Be sure to heart to like to share uh, each one of those. That just helps to get the word out uh, that we're having services this morning, and it's a way to invite your friends uh, this morning. So you can even do that from where you are. You can do that from home, so I encourage you to take the time uh, to do that. Also want to encourage you to go to our church website. Uh, under our church website at hollowbaptistchurch.com under the info tab you'll find the worship bulletin for today if you need these in person uh, they're in the window sills at the doors uh, so be sure to get you one of those a lot of upcoming activities coming up so want to make sure you're aware of all those things uh, but you can download that also uh, from our church website so be sure to do that if you need one of the children's worship bulletins ages three and up uh, or ages seven and up uh, they are in the windowsill to my right they're also under that info tab that you can download you can share the links there uh, so be sure to do that as well as uh, you can find there our prayer list uh, for the week so be sure to take the time uh, to do that uh, there's a lot of updated prayer requests on there so be sure to get that downloaded also if you need that in person they're on the table out here across from the church office and while you're there on the church website if you'll go to the far right hand side click the online giving you can do that there also but we just wanted to welcome you this morning if you're one of our first time guests we especially want to encourage you to pick up one of the gift bags uh, that are at the sides of the stage there are some at the doors as you leave whether you leave out that door or you leave out this way uh, be sure to get one of those it's just our way to say welcome glad to have you here uh, with us and we just want to uh, share with you some information about our church as well as we have some gifts uh, that are in there uh, for you well we're going to celebrate as we open this morning with baptism and i want to share with you a verse of scripture that comes from romans uh, chapter 6 uh, and verse 3 that says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. And we understand that baptism is not something that saves us. Baptism is an outward picture of what has already happened uh, in our hearts and in our lives. So we want to encourage you uh, to, to think about that also if you've never been baptized maybe this will encourage you uh, to take that step of faith also maybe you've never trusted in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior so I'd encourage you to take the time to do that but this morning we're going to be baptizing Morgan Robinson so Morgan if you'll come and join me here in the water Morgan, what is your profession of faith? Upon your profession of faith as Jesus is Lord, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with him in baptism, risen to walk in a newness of life. Amen. Amen. We're so excited for her decision and uh, just want to 
uh, encourage you also with that also. So let's go to the Lord in prayer uh, as we begin. And then a little bit later when we uh, come to our missionary moment, uh, Pastor Matt's going to lead us in that time. So Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the wonderful blessings that you've given to us. Thank you for uh, the wonderful privilege of uh, participating in baptism this morning and seeing Morgan come uh, to give that outward profession of something that's already happened in her heart sometime later, earlier. And so Father, we just pray that uh, you will use this in her heart and her life to uh, help her in her walk with you. Father, I pray that you'll uh, just guide her each and every step of each and every day. We pray that it's been a testimony and a witness to many others who are here too family and friends uh, to support her and encourage her in that. And we just ask the Lord your blessings uh, upon her. May we be a blessing to her as a church and may she continue to be a blessing uh, to us. So bless our service this morning as we come to worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother Mike, we'll turn it over to you. Coming up to scoot into position. Um. Tell you all to go ahead and get ready as we sing our first song this morning. We're going to sing 411, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. Uh, you don't know how much I depend on these guys. Whenever we get to the point where they leave the choir and they step down and it's just me and you all singing, it's like the wind out of the sails is just gone. It's fun having them back here. I don't know how you feel, but I love it. Let's stand and sing 411, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. Tommy will do the three. It's Mark, first, second, fourth. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon Good morning, church. 
If you are a guest, we welcome you here this morning. It is our pleasure to have you. And we thank you so much for being here and joining us for worship today. If you would open your bulletins to our missionary moment, we want to highlight a, uh, a missionary named Allie White who is working in the sub-Saharan African peoples. Uh, I just want to read briefly uh, what she's doing out there. It said that uh, white women in the slum brothels of Kapala, Uganda, learned that God had not forgotten them after missionary Allie White pointed down an alley and asked, what is this place? That particular place, Alley House, it has the most, that Alley House was the most brothels in the area and local believers avoided it at all, all costs. Soon, however, White and other Ugandan Christians prayed for God to open doors for sharing the gospel. They started a Bible study and six attended the first day. The second week, 60 women came, many giving their lives to Christ. This story and there's many others that from our missionaries, both international and domestic, who are sharing Jesus daily and giving hope to those who are lost. And so also be praying for, as we uh, start to pray, also for the revival going on in Kentucky. I think it's to the 10th day now that it's going on. Just be praying again that God would just stir a revival in our hearts as well. You know, there's, there's no reason why that can't happen here. You know, that we would be you know, serious about seeing God move and seeing God be glorified in all that we do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together and we ask your blessings upon our missionaries overseas and here in the States. God, we want to lift up the ministry that Ali is doing in, in, in the sub-Saharan African, with the African peoples. God, willing to go places that some are not, God, and that's what you've called us to do, God, to share the gospel with those who are lost and dying and on their way to hell. God, let us not be afraid of alleyways or reputations, but God, that we would go forth with boldness to share Jesus with others. God, we thank you for their faithfulness, and God, may we be encouraged by the work they do. God, may you receive all the glory. And God, we pray for those in Kentucky where revival is taking place, that you would just continue to stir the hearts of the people, bring many to, uh, to repentance, and God, save those who are lost. And God, and Lord, that through this revival, that many uh, would come to know you as, G as their Lord and Savior. God, we thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, and we praise you that he rose again three days later. God, thank you for your grace and your mercy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Matt. Take your hymnals now and let's turn to 206, Blessed Be the Name. Quiet. Miss Pat. Blessed 
y'all sounded good um now as a reminder of the children's church being gathered over here on the piano side for this song let's all stand now and sing 184 jesus is all the world to me and we will do all four verses just y'all stand join the choir Ms. Pat. Jesus is all the world to me, my life, my joy, my all. He is my strength from day to day. Without him I would fall. When I am sad to him I go. Yeah. 
Jesus is all the world to me. I want no better friend. I'll trust him now. I'll trust him when life's fleeting day shall end. Beautiful life with such a friend. Beautiful life that has no end. Eternal life, eternal joy. He's my friend. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles this morning, if you will, and turn to the Gospel of John. As we're going through uh, the life of Jesus, uh, it's been rare that we've been in the, light, in the Gospel of John, uh, mostly because uh, a lot of his letter covers those last uh, months there and last days of Jesus' life. And in fact, that's where we are. We're getting to the point where Jesus is, had been at Jericho. Uh, and he's on his way into Jerusalem, uh, hasn't quite arrived there yet. We're going to see that he makes a stop here at a little town called Bethany uh, this morning. But John chapter 11 uh, is where we're going to begin. We're going to read in verse 1 uh, down through verse 6, and then we'll uh, come back and look at some of these verses and continue on through the chapter. So let's stand as we read God's Word in honor of His Word. John chapter 11, verse 1 down through verse 6. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you so much for the blessing of your word this morning. We ask, Heavenly Father, that as you speak to us through your word, may you uh, speak in a powerful way. May your word be alive and powerful. Father, I pray that you'll help us to see the truths that we can learn to apply to our lives, and especially uh, the message of salvation. Father, I pray that if there's one who's here or one watching online who doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and their Savior, may today be that day of salvation for them. And Father, I just pray that their lives would be changed, transformed, set on a path of righteousness for your name's sake, and may you use their lives to bring glory and honor to your name. Thank you, Lord, for all you're doing in our hearts and in our lives, and bless your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And you can be seated. You know, sometimes life is like a wedding. We're overwhelmed with joy, even tears of joy, as two people who are precious uh, to us commit themselves to each other and to God. There's celebration, there's music, there's cake, there's food, it's, it's fun, and it's an exciting time. But sometimes life is like a funeral. Our hearts are broken at our loss. We wonder where did all the time go because life is short, and our lives are filled with grief. When you look at the life of Jesus, he was there in the happy times of life when the weddings occurred. Uh, 
And we're also going to find out in these verses that Jesus was there with these families in the sad times uh, of life, when people were going through the crisis experiences and, and even the times of death. If ever a person needs to know Jesus and meet Jesus and have a presence of Jesus, it's when they're going through the loss of a family member. I don't know how you get through something like that without Jesus Christ in your heart and in your life. Uh, there's nothing that'll test a family uh, with the, the, like the death of a loved one. Uh, the death of a family member is either that cement that, that bonds the rest of the family closer together, uh, or it's kind of like a searchlight that begins to reveal the cracks in the structure of the family. Now, in this passage, we find that Jesus is very near to this family in Bethany. We know it's the family of Mary and Martha, who are the sisters, and their brother, Lazarus. It's a special family uh, for Jesus. It's a family, though, that's going through a time of crisis, and, and it provides an opportunity for us uh, to, to touch uh, life at, at a very tender spot in this experience in all of us, uh, the loss of a family member, and yet to see one of the greatest miracles of all. Uh, the first part of this miracle involves the suffering. And that's what I want you to see, the suffering. In verse 1 through verse 6 there, you read in those opening verses, we're reminded again just how very near and dear this little family was to Jesus. Uh, they lived in this little village of Bethany, uh, which wasn't too far from the city uh, of Jerusalem. It was a place where Jesus would often go uh, to get away from the crowd, sometimes to rest, to relax at their house. Uh, there's a family, though, here, though, that is suffering because Lazarus, their brother, is sick. I mean, he's not just sick with a sniffling cold. He's sick and, and about to die. Uh, now, the Bible doesn't say this, but I've always tended to believe that Lazarus was the youngest member uh, of the family. Uh, I have the feeling that Mary and Martha were, were the older sisters. Uh, Lazarus is the youngest, and if that's true, they probably petted over him, pampered him, uh, had taken special care of him, and now he's sick. And that's, that's always a time of suffering for any family when sickness comes into a family. We're told that Jesus went to the home of Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10. Martha was in the kitchen. You remember that story. Uh, she was in the kitchen. She was all hot and bothered about it. Uh, and Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus, uh, just taking it all in with him, having a, a Bible study. And, and you remember Martha kind of got her nose out of joint, if you will. And, and you remember that story. What a beautiful, sweet uh, scene that is. Uh, it seems to have been a place where Jesus enjoyed going. It was one of those places, as we said, where he could relax, he could get away from the crowds, uh, be with some people that he was very close to. And, and he needed those times, just like we all do. Now, these verses here make it clear to us that this family was loved by Jesus. In fact, twice it tells us in these verses that Jesus loves this family. The word was sent to Jesus in verse 3 uh, that Lazarus, whom he loved, is ill, he's sick. And we're told down in verse 5 that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So he loves them with all of his heart. Uh, it's also we see here this time of suffering because I want you to notice that just because you're close to Jesus doesn't make you immune to suffering. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that your life is going to be a bed of roses and there's not going to be any thorns. There's going to be 
those times of suffering even as a believer. Because understand, God doesn't take us once we become a Christian and put us in some kind of trouble-proof bag, if you will, bubble wrap us around us to keep us from ever having any trouble. Every one of us at some time are going to experience troubles and especially even suffering. We have the same problems, we have the same heartaches, we have the same cares, we have the same needs that other people do who don't know Christ. Uh, another thing I want you to notice in these verses is that Jesus doesn't love us any less when we're suffering. Uh, when we're suffering or when we're sick than when he does when things are going well. In fact, if anything, we experience God's love even more when we're going through uh, those kinds of experiences. Now, sometimes people go through suffering, and that raises the question, does God love me? Why is God letting this happen to me if he's a God of love? If he loves me, surely he wouldn't let these things happen to me. Does Jesus really care? And yet this passage of Scripture makes it very clear to us that when we're going through a time of suffering, his love for us is in no way diminished. Twice he tells us he loves this family. So here's Lazarus, who he loves, and he's sick. The Bible says there in verse 3 that the sisters sent message to Jesus that their brother is sick. That's a good thing to do. When you've got suffering, when you've got troubles, when you've got trials, when you have difficulties, uh, when you have heartaches, it's a good thing to go to Jesus. The Bible says in Psalm 46 and verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. So you have a problem, send word to Jesus. You've got trouble, you've got sorrow in your family, go to Jesus. I love the song that we have in our hymn books that says... I must tell Jesus all of my trials. I cannot bear these burdens alone. In my distress, He kindly will help me. He ever loves and cares for His own. I must tell Jesus all of my troubles. He is a kind, compassionate friend. If I but ask him, he will deliver. Make up my troubles quickly and end. Tempted and tried, I need a great Savior, one who can help my burdens to bear. I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, He all my cares and sorrows will share. Oh, how the world you evil allures me oh how my heart is tempted to sin i must tell jesus and he will help me over the world the victory to win let's sing that chorus together and i'll bring it down a little bit there 
I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, I cannot bear my burdens alone. I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, Jesus can help me, Jesus alone. You know, we sing that, and you remembered the words probably out without even looking at the, the chorus there, at least the chorus part you remember. And, and yet so often we don't practice that in our lives. We don't practice that because when we're going through trouble and we're going through trial, our first response is to question God rather than to say, Lord, I need to come to you with these problems. I bring them to you and I give them to you because you're the only one who can help me in a time of trouble. In fact, the Bible says that we're to cast all of our cares upon him because he cares for us. The Bible says, cast your burdens upon the Lord for he cares for you. And so here's a family who's in a time of suffering and a time of crisis. And what do they do? They know who they need to go to first. They don't go to the doctors around them. They don't go to the governors. They don't go to uh, any other religious leaders. They get the word to Jesus just as fast as they can. They didn't tell him, notice, what to do. They didn't tell him how to go about his business. They just had this feeling that if they could send word to Jesus, Jesus would do something about it. They had that feeling that if they could just let Jesus know that something was wrong, Jesus would hurry to come and see them. I mean, we would expect that the moment Jesus hears this word, that he begins to get everything together, he begins to say to the disciples, boys, pick up your things. We've got to hurry. Lazarus is sick. He's almost about to die. We've got to get there to Bethany as quick as we can. That's not what we see. When you read these verses, you notice in verse 6, it says that when Jesus heard the word that Lazarus was sick, that he was almost about to die, he stayed where he was for two more days. I tell you, if we were looking at that today, and you were sick almost to death, and the preacher waited two days to come see you, we'd be wanting to tell the preacher to hit the road. That's the way they felt about Jesus at this point that we're about to get to, because Jesus waits two days. You can almost imagine what the sisters are going through. They sit there, they've sent word to Jesus, and one day passes, and two days pass. They know he's not too far away. And one of the sisters asks, is he coming? Is he here yet? Nope. Where is he? He hasn't shown up yet. And so they must have been puzzled and wondered why the delay. Now, of course, we have the benefit of reading the story. We already know what's going on, but they didn't. And so you have to put yourself in, in their situation when they sent for Jesus and days are passing now and suffering has come and Jesus hasn't come yet. They're puzzled. Why the delay? You understand this? It's the delays that sometimes confuse us. You pray and nothing seems to happen. You, you called on Jesus, he doesn't seem to be responsive. And in those delays, th that, that kind of gets to us. 
We wonder about the mysteries of God. The poet said once, God moves in mysterious ways His wonders to perform. He plants His footstep in the sea and walks upon the storm. You may have been praying for a long time for something and it hasn't come to pass yet. You may wonder about the delay of the Lord. I want to point out to you that the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 18, Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. When the Lord waits and when the Lord delays in your life, just keep this in mind that there, there, that there are any number of reasons, any of the reasons, there are lots of reasons we may not understand. God may be working in ways behind the scenes and, and that are beyond our ability to understand. But understand there's always a reason that will bring glory to Him and good to you. Now there's a little clue given to us back in verse 4. Notice in verse 4 it says, But when Jesus heard it, notice what He said, This illness does not lead to death. Now, when Jesus heard about Lazarus being sick, he says here this sickness was not unto death. He goes on to tell us uh, in that verse, in verse 4, he said, it is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And so he, he tells us here that it's not a sickness unto death, but for the glory of God. Now, when Jesus said that, Lazarus was probably already dead when he said that. Yet Jesus said, this sickness is not unto death. And we know that Lazarus did die. So what was Jesus saying here? He was saying that death wasn't going to be the final word. Glory is going to be the final word. It's saying that, that there's some kind of connection here between the sufferings and the glory of God. If God is getting ready to do something special and wonderful in your life, it's altogether possible that He may just put you through a time in the school of suffering. It's suffering that leads to glory. It's the difficulties in life. Uh, it's the dilemmas in life. It's the crisis experiences of life where God works His greatest and shines His brightest. Out of the suffering, He brings something special and wonderful into our lives. And so we see just like with Lazarus, Mary and Martha, they suffered, we suffer. Secondly, I want you to see in this miracle the sorrow. There's not only suffering, there's also sorrow. You see this in verse 7 down through verse 9. Notice what verse 7 begins again and says. Then after this, he said to the disciples... Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. What Jesus is saying in these verses here, he's saying, I've got my own schedule. Understand this. Heaven's timetable isn't like our timetable. We count the days, the hours, the minutes, the seconds. While Jesus delayed His coming, the inevitable occurs. Notice the thing they feared the most happened. As you go down to verse 11, it says, After saying these things, He said to them, 
our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Now, in these verses here, uh, we see Jesus makes it very plain. If you go down to verse 14, Lazarus is dead. He said before here in verse 11, Lazarus is asleep. So which one is it? They misunderstood it. They didn't catch what Jesus was trying to say here. The word sleep here is a euphemism in the scriptures for death. Death for the believer is always compared to sleep. Why do you think the Bible compares death to sleep? Because in the Bible, sleep here, as, as this euphemism for death uh, compares here, it's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13 to verse 14, the Bible says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. That's what Paul talks about, those who have already passed on before, those who have already died. That you may not grieve as others who do not have, who, who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. So twice there in those two verses you see that word sleep used as the euphemism for death. It's used in many other places throughout the scripture. So when a believer dies, we just need to understand that they've gone to sleep in the Lord. So what does that mean? I mean, think about it. You go home tonight and you, uh, you, take, you get six, eight hours, whatever it takes you to get your night's rest, but you'll wake up in the morning if the, if the Lord blesses you to, to, to be able to wake up tomorrow and, and you've not passed away. When, when you're asleep, it means you're going to be waking up. Death for the believer is not the final act. Death for uh, the believer is not the final word. Death for the believer is to be asleep in the Lord for a little while. It means that even though believers may die, there's going to be a day when God is going to wake us up. He's going to bring us up in the glorious resurrection of the Lord. Not at all is he talking about here or giving some kind of theology of a soul sleep. There's nothing in here about that. He's just using this as an as a image of what death is like. And so he says something rather strange because notice verse 14 right into verse 15 with his words. So verse 14, Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died and for your sake I'm glad. That seems cold and hard to us. That Jesus is saying, I'm glad Lazarus is dead. You wouldn't expect the Lord to say that. Why are you glad, Lord? The reason the Lord's glad is because he knows that he's going to do something that's going to put glory all over the place. The Lord knows he's going to do something that's going to give this little family a blessing that they've never experienced in all of their lives. It's going to impact people all around them, and it's going to impact Christians and people through the centuries as we have read this story even this morning. I have a good word for you, and it's a good word that death is not the end. Death is not the last word in the life of a believer. So here's Mary and Martha... They had been tending to their brother who was very special to them. Uh, he was the apple of their eye. They sent for Jesus. Jesus hasn't come. And now Lazarus breathes his last. What a devastating experience. What a heart-rending time for them. There's nothing that traumatizes a family and devastates a family like the experience of losing a member of their family who's so beloved. But notice their sorrow. Jesus is on the way. 
And as he approaches these two sisters, Martha and Mary, he approaches it to deal with them. You, you can't read about Lazarus and not find out that Mary and Martha are very, very different. Uh, every time you read about them, you read about their characteristics and their personal nature and who they were. You know, we're all different. Isn't it amazing that in the same family, same mother, same dad, same house, same environment, how different family members are, how different brothers and sisters can be from one another. Uh, so here are Mary and Martha, and they're different from one another. Uh, they handle sorrow differently from one another. Uh, they have different temperaments. They ha uh, that's what happens uh, when, a family, uh, when, when sorrow comes to a family. Family members handle sorrow in different ways. So let's look at Martha and how she handles things. Uh, you'll notice in verse 17. So it says, Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. And he goes on to say, Bethany was near Jerusalem about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. So you get the image here again of Martha. Martha is the active one. She's the more emotional one. Martha is the one who's always busy getting things done. She's the impulsive one. If you stayed around Martha long enough, she'd tell you what was on her mind, and she wasn't shy about it either. Here comes Martha, and, and verse, no, I want you to notice something a little further down in verse 30. Verse 30 says that Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. Where was that? Outside the city. Jesus had been two miles outside the city. So you can just get the picture here and get the image of what's going on here. It says she met him outside the village. She's so furious that Jesus hasn't come yet, it's like she's been pacing, she's been going around in the house, where is Jesus? He's not here yet, we sent word, he's not come yet, and she gets word from somebody that Jesus is outside the town. He's outside the village, and you can just see her. Man, she's stomping, she's going, I'm going to tell Jesus. I'm going to give him my business right now. She's just wanting to let him have it. You ever had that experience? Maybe, hopefully you're not that person who comes to tell somebody something like that. Maybe you've been on the other end of the experience where somebody came to tell you something. Here was Martha. She was going outside the village. She didn't wait for Jesus to come to the house. She goes to him, and she is so furious, and she's like, Lord, where have you been? And you hear that silence. Notice verse 21 and verse 22. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Some things had changed in Martha since the stories we had read before about her. Because she comes furious. She gives him her business, gives him the peace of mind. But she says, Jesus, I know whatever you ask God the Father, he'll do for you. 
Do you catch that in her words, that biting tone? You have to see her face. It's kind of like when we text one another, we text some words to people, and you can't ever tell what the emotion was behind uh, the way the person said it. Maybe they included an emotive, whatever it's called, <laughs> the emoticon, the happy face or the, the mad face or whatever. Maybe that gives you a little inkling of how they were saying what they were saying. Maybe they were saying it sarcastically or something. But you read those words off of a text or, or off of an email, and you don't know how a person was speaking that in their heart. Were they speaking it out of love? Were they speaking it out of anger? Uh, were they upset with me? Uh, what was going on here? So we're reading it from the text here. But put yourself in the place of all that Martha's gone through. She isn't happy that the Lord hasn't come. You get, if we could see her face, if you could hear her voice, you would hear some impatience in her words. The implications of the words are, Lord, where have you been? Lord, what's wrong? Why didn't you show up? Why didn't you come? Why didn't you come when I thought you would come? If you had been here, he would not have died. You sense her frustration, even her anger. And sometimes when there's the death of a loved one in a family, sometimes there's anger that comes out. People respond in anger to death. I mean, let's just be honest about it. Sometimes there's anger towards God. Now, most people don't want to admit it, but there are times you get angry with God in a situation like that. I remember my dad passed away when I was five years old, and I, I knew where my dad was. I knew my dad had been a Christian. I, I knew the kind of life he lived, at least somewhat, as a five-year-old. Uh, I'd heard the testimonies from other people about how he had lived, but he died when I was five, and I didn't realize how much that had affected me till I left and went to Bible college when I was 23 years old. When I went to Bible college and the Lord began to work in my heart and to deal with me about things in my life, one of the things that came to surface in my heart was my anger to God for taking my dad when I was so young. Why, God? Why couldn't I have grown up with a godly dad? Some of you are in that place. You lost your mom, you lost your dad, and you wonder, why, God? Why didn't you leave that person in my life? Uh, if, if you had left that person in my life, maybe I wouldn't have had this influence from this ungodly person in my life and how that affected me. I never would admit it. I'd always put my anger in other directions. But when I finally dealt with that, and I confessed that to the Lord, admitted it, God began to do something in my heart to create a love in my heart even deeper than before. Sometimes when you're in this kind of situation that Martha and Mary's in, you take your anger out on others. We transfer our anger to somebody else. It's that sorry, no good doctor's fault. He's the one who killed my mom or my dad or my brother or my sister or whoever it is. We want to blame somebody. Sometimes we want to blame God. Here's Mary and her Martha who says, Lord, where have you been? If you had been here, he wouldn't have died. Why did you let this happen? Jesus begins to work with Martha. And he says to her in verse 23, your brother will rise again. That's all he says to her. Your brother will rise again. Now Martha, 
She understands that a little bit. She believes the scripture. She believes what the, the Old Testament says. And she says this in verse 24. She says to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So she believes in the last day resurrection. But notice Martha makes a crucial mistake here. She's standing in the presence of the Lord Jesus and she's talking about the resurrection in terms of something that's going to happen way off out yonder in the future. And then Jesus gives her what she needs to hear in verse 25. Jesus goes on to say to her, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Notice, present tense. I am. Not I will be the resurrection. I am the resurrection. The fifth of the I am statements in the Gospel of John. I am, that's the name for God. That's the name that Moses learned at the burning bush. I am, that means I always was, I am now, and I shall always be. I am that reality, I. That's priority. I'm ahead of all things. I am all things. I am the resurrection and the life. He's saying to Martha, don't look to the future Look to a person. Look to Jesus. He's the resurrection and the life. Aren't you glad that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? That simply means that wherever Jesus is, everything comes to life. Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and nothing can stay dead in the presence of Jesus. Three times in the New Testament, we're told that Jesus comes into contact uh, with the dead. And every time that Jesus came in contact with the dead, he rose them again from the dead. So think about that. You get Jesus in a church, that church will come alive. You get Jesus in a family, that family will come alive. You get Jesus in your life, you will come alive. He says, though he were dead, talking about physical death, yet shall he live He's saying, I'm going to raise him, not only spiritually, but physically from the dead. Notice verse 26. He says, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Lazarus had just died. What's he talking about? He's talking here about spiritual death. There's a physical death, but there's also a spiritual death. There are people who are dead spiritually. And the truth of the matter is that, that we've already uh, had one resurrection. If you're, if you're in Christ, you were dead in your trespasses and sin, and when you came to faith in Christ, you were resurrected. That's what we saw in the baptism this morning. You're resurrected to walk in a newness of life. You once were dead, but now you're alive. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Before you met Jesus, before you were got saved, you were a dead sinner. You were dead in trespasses and sin. But when you received Jesus, He raised you out of that spiritual death. You've had a spiritual resurrection. You're a brand new creature in Christ Jesus because... Of your salvation. One of the reasons we know that we're going to have a physical resurrection, though, is because we've already experienced a spiritual resurrection. But that's not all. 
we're not only going to have a spiritual resurrection, we're going to experience this new physical resurrection. One of these days, if you know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, you're going to experience the resurrection of the body. Jesus is going to descend from heaven with a shout. The dead in Christ are going to rise first. And it's going to be a graveyard miracle out there in the future because Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And though you are dead, yet will you live. But notice what he said, that's what he said to Martha. Now Mary handles her sorrow a little bit differently. Verse 27, she said to him, yes, Lord, Martha did. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. She's answering, I do believe. Well, verse 28 says, she said, when she said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was, though, and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, Mary is the more meditative one. She's the more devotional one. Every time you read about Mary in the Bible, she's at the feet of Jesus. In Luke chapter 10, you remember when Jesus came for that meal, Martha was hot and bothered in the kitchen, but Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. So here she is. She's lost a family member. She's lost her special brother. Jesus has come. And, and Mary uh, brings her sorrow to the feet of Jesus. In verse 32, she comes out and she says the very same thing, very same words that Martha said. But there's a difference in the tone of voice here. At the feet of Jesus, she's saying, Oh Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. See what she did? She, her, her sorrow brought her to the feet of Jesus. That's a good thing to do when you have a devastating experience in your life. When you have a problem in your family, you have a hurt in your heart, get to the feet of the Lord Jesus. That's what we ought to let sorrow do to us. Let it call you back to the Bible, back to prayer more than you ever have before. Every sorrow is a call to prayer. Every heartache is a call to the feet of Jesus. It's a good thing to do when you deepen your, life, your devotional life, uh, when you're going through a crisis and a hard time. But then the greatest part of this miracle comes in this third point. There's suffering and there's sorrow. But praise be to God, there's a Savior. There's a Savior. Notice verse 33. When Jesus saw, she, saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Now the word weeping there is a word that means loud, crying, shrieking. It's very expressive. It's very outward. It's very loud. And Jesus comes into this scene of, of turmoil and sorrow. He hears this family who's lost a family member. They're all to pieces about it. And Jesus walks in and in verse 33 it says he was moved in his spirit and troubled. Now the word means there, troubled, means he was agitated. 
It, it literally means a, a holy anger there that's boiling up in his soul. Why did Jesus get upset here? Why did he get troubled? Jesus, I'll tell you here, he, he walked into the presence of what human sin can do to a family and can do to a life, and his holy anger bursts out against the sin that had caused so much suffering and sorrow in this family. He, he's not hot and bothered to the family or to the people. It's to the sin that has caused so much suffering and sorrow. It ought to make us angry at what sin does to people. But notice verse 34. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then in verse 35, shortest verse in the Bible, kids, memorize it. Jesus wept. But it's one of the sweetest verses in the Bible. It's a different word for weeping here. Not the weeping hysterically that we read about in the previous verses, it really means here that tears burst from his eyes. You can see Jesus standing there silently as the tears just begin to well up in his eyes and they begin to flow down his cheeks. What that says to us is you don't have to try to stifle your tears when you, when you lose a loved one. Being a Christian doesn't dehumanize you. You still have those feelings of sorrow. The Bible says that we sorrow, but not as those who have no hope. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't sorrow, we do sorrow, but we don't sorrow as those who have no hope. In the midst of our tears, even though we have sorrow, even though we do weep, God gives us hope, and Jesus wept. Why did Jesus weep? He wept for the sisters because his heart was touched with the feeling of their sorrow. When we weep, Jesus weeps. I want you to get that. When you have a heartache, Jesus has a heartache. He identifies with us. He wept for these sisters. He wept for Lazarus. Why did he weep for Lazarus? Was he, was he in the land of the dying? No, Lazarus wasn't in the land of the dying. He's in the land of the living. Heaven is the land of the living. And Jesus is fixing to bring him back to the land of the dying. Lazarus is going to be worse off in, when this picture is over. Jesus is weeping. And then notice verse 36. Verse 36 goes on to say, So the Jews said, See how he loved him. When they saw him weeping, they said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man, blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. There was something they could do. We, what we can do, Jesus expects us to do. There are some stones in our lives that we can roll away. Sometimes you can roll away the old stone uh, of pride or roll away uh, the, the stone of worldliness or the stone of indifference or the old stone of unforgiveness. You can roll that away. But sometimes Jesus needs to let us roll some stones away in our life so he can get to the problem. You have any stones in your life that need to be rolled away? Martha speaks up as always in verse 39. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead for four days. They were saying the body's already begun to decompose. That's a picture of us in our lostness. 
Lost people are not only dead, they're decayed. The longer you live in sin, the more you smell like it. Some sinners have been sinners so long that every time they open their mouth, it's like a garbage dump. Their lifestyle smells, their habits smell, their influence smells. Everything about them stinks. They've been in sin so long. What a picture we see here. He stinks. Does she realize who she's talking to? Jesus had said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. It didn't matter if Lazarus had been dead for four days or four centuries. Jesus said... Take away the stone. In verse 40, Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus! Come out. So there stands Jesus, the Lord of life, standing in the presence of death. And it says with a loud voice, Jesus cried. Think about that voice of Jesus when he cried. When he cried with that voice, the demons came out of people. When Jesus spoke, he calmed the waves of the sea and the storms ceased. When Jesus spoke, a little girl came back to life. When Jesus spoke, there was a little boy who had been dead who came back to life. And now with a loud voice, he says, Lazarus come forth. Somebody once said that if he hadn't called Lazarus by name, every dead person in the graveyard would have come out. About that time, Lazarus, who's up there in heaven, enjoying the blessedness of heaven, somebody comes and taps on his shoulder and says, Lazarus, I want to apologize. I hate to interrupt you, but Jesus has called you back to the land of the dying. About that time, there stands Jesus and all the people and there's Mary and there's Martha, and it says this in verse 44. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linens, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Here he comes. He's all bound up. His arms and his legs are bound. He's barely able to get out. He has those linen strips that are hanging about his face all over his body. He hasn't seen the light of the sun for four days. He comes blinking and stumbling and barely moving out. And Jesus says, loose him and let him go. It's good to know that when you come to the Lord Jesus Christ, he'll take off all those old grave clothes... He'll get rid of all those things in your life that ought not to be there, and he'll start adding things to your life that ought to be there. He'll start putting on some clothes of grace. That's what Jesus can do when you're experiencing a time of suffering and sorrow. What Jesus did for Lazarus, he can do for you. When you have a problem, when you have trouble and difficulty in your life, call out to Jesus. And expect a miracle when he shows up. You may be thinking, well, it, it didn't work that way for me. Your sick loved one, after you prayed, you asked Jesus to come and to heal them. Jesus didn't come. They didn't get healed. They did die. Keep this in mind that Jesus may not be coming when you think he's coming. There may be a delay that you don't understand that God is doing something special in your life. But one of these days... 
what Jesus did for this man Lazarus, he's going to do for millions of us. There's going to be a miracle in the graveyards around this world. Jesus is going to do something for you that's even greater than what he did for Lazarus. Because think about it, when Lazarus came back from the dead, he still had to die again. When we come out of the grave, understand this, if you're a believer in Christ and you've trusted him as Lord and Savior, you're never going to have to die again. We're going to go home to glory to be with Jesus forever and forever and forever. Here's the question I want to leave you with this morning. If death should come today, would you be ready to go? Have you received the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior? The one thing Mary and Martha needed and the one thing Lazarus needed more than anything else was a Savior, Jesus. So when we're facing suffering and sorrow of our sin, the most important thing we need is a Savior who can perform the greatest miracle of all, the miracle of salvation. You ever experienced that greatest miracle? If you haven't, then I want to encourage you this morning to trust in Jesus. And he'll bring you from suffering and sorrow into peace and from death into life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for reminding us as believers that this world and this life is not all there is. And that when a, when a believer passes from this life is not the end. There is eternity forever with you. One day, we will be resurrected from the grave. But Lord, that's only if we know Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. For those who don't, they will be placed in an eternal punishment in hell forever. And so, Father, I pray this morning that we have heard this message that you love us with a love that cannot compare. You love us as filthy sinners as we are. And you sent your son, Jesus, to die on that cross for our sins. So come into our hearts. Save us. Help us to live for you all the days of our life. Father, if we're here this morning, maybe we've been troubled in our hearts. Maybe we've been angry towards you. Help us to just be honest, Lord, with you. Because you already know it. To just come clean and say, God, I've been upset for so long. And I don't want to be upset anymore. I love you, Lord. And I know you love me. Lord, take all this anger. Take all this bitterness. Take all of this trouble and sorrow and suffering. And Lord, I pray that you'll take all of that upon yourself. And Lord, fill me with a peace in my heart that passes all understanding. Lord, I pray some people this morning are experiencing some freedom in their heart and their life because of that. I pray that there are those who are experiencing a freedom because they've come to faith in Christ this morning. Lord, there are many of us who are here as believers, and we've lost that passion of life somewhere along the way. And it's like spiritually, we're dying on the inside. And so, Father, I pray that you will resurrect us, you will send revival to our hearts and to our lives. Revive us, Lord, once again. 
Father, I pray that you'll renew us, give us the strength that we need one day at a time, one moment at a time to live faithfully for you in the truth of your word, proclaiming the word of the gospel to those around us before it's too late. Have your way and have your way and will in this invitation. Lord, maybe there's some that you're leading to come and to join this fellowship. Lord, whatever decisions need to be made, we give this invitation to you. We ask for your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother Mike, come and lead us in our hymn of invitation. Number 312, as the Lord leads you, will you come this morning as we stand, as we sing? Will you come? seated for just a moment. Brother John, will you come? This is Brother John Watts. Uh, he's been attending for quite some time now with us, and we're uh, excited for what the Lord's been doing in his heart and his life. He wants to come and to join our fellowship uh, this morning and moving his membership to our church. If you're excited for his decision this morning, would you just say amen this morning? Amen. We're so excited for you, Brother John. Uh, just know that we'll be praying for you and, and we'll be connecting you with your uh, family deacon also. You come by after the service here. Uh, we'll have him back up here to give him the right hand of fellowship also. And I think Morgan's down here too. We'll have her up here if you want to uh, welcome her into the face. Brother John, if you'll have a seat for just a moment. Brother Steve, uh, we'll let you come and share our announcements. Johnny, welcome to Highland. I believe Stan Smith, I believe, will be your deacon. So, And Morgan, so proud uh, of the decisions you've made. And it's always wonderful when we see these waters. Uh, so it's wonderful. 
Uh, Matt, I believe you have a couple announcements. Uh, coming up uh, next Sunday again is our going to be our second share Sunday. Just want to briefly share uh, a little bit of what we're not doing. So I know there may be this kind of misconception that hey, we're out there street preachers. It's not what we're doing. You know, we don't have megaphones. We're not yelling at people. You know, we're just asking people going up, walking up to them, saying, "Hey, how can we pray for you?" And you know, then taking the opportunity if the Lord allows you know to share the gospel with that person. And so we're going to be you know doing some of that training tonight at five upstairs in the youth room. We'd be glad for you to come. If, if students sixth through 12th grade are able to do it, there's no doubt in my mind that you can do it too. So um, if you have, you're available to come and, uh, you know, participate, you just want to kind of see how we're doing that a little bit, you know, just come and check it out. And so, and then next Sunday, we'll be going out to share the gospel and pray for uh, people over at the mall. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. We appreciate what you're doing there. Uh, a few other announcements. There are several in our bulletin. I'll let you read most of them, but upcoming events in the next uh, month, through at least the middle of March. A uh, couple of others. Uh, the men's study program that goes on each evening or each Sunday evening will be canceled for tonight. Uh, and I believe at five o'clock tonight, the music committee will be meeting uh, meeting your office. Music search committee. I'm sorry. And uh, that's at 5 o'clock tonight. Uh, a few other uh, prayer requests that we have. We want to remember Bertie Davis as she fell last week as she continues to recover with all those bruises. Uh, Wanda Nichols, uh, let's be in prayer with Todd. Uh, his mother Wanda, they put her on hospice. Uh, so be with them uh, these coming days. And then we also want to remember uh, or be in prayer for uh, Marilyn McClendon. She was a former uh, youth pastor here. Her mother passed away earlier this morning. So we want to be with her as she's comforted in prayer. So unless we have any other announcements, we'll go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just do give thanks to you for this day. Father, we're so thankful that you're a part of our lives. Father, that you're the... the the way, the light uh, for all of us. And Lord, it's just, just so thankful that uh, we, can, we can have you in our lives. Father, that you actually uh, give that breath of life to us. Lift us up when we're down. You take care of us and comfort us when we need, when we need it. And Father, we're just so thankful for all the other things that are going on in our church. We're so thankful for the baptism of Morgan this morning and for Johnny and his joining in the membership. Father, we've been blessed here at Highland with our programs, the Iwana program and our CDC programs. And, and we're just so thankful, Lord, that all you do and the work that is done here by each and every and so many people. And Lord, we just want to reach out to those that are going through, through difficult times. Those, Father, who are, are sick, uh, have recent surgeries, uh, illnesses. Uh, those, Father, that have lost loved ones, uh, not only just real recently, but in the past days. Just be with each of these individuals, Father, that you comfort them and, and uh, give meaning to their life and, and just know, Lord, that you're with them to walk with them through each and every moment. Lord, we're just thankful for the day we've had, for the sermon that our pastor has given us. And Lord, we just ask that you forgive us when we fail thee. These things we ask in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Come by and greet Morgan and John.